everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Pod on You Loons. Pod on You Loons, and we welcome back Nate and Tifa Nate, as he uh, wrote in his uh, in our little video chat room. His screen name right now is Antifa Nate. Welcome back. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm good, guys. Great to be back. And I'm guessing you didn't listen to the podcast episode where Sam referred to you as a member of Antifa at least like three dozen times. Or did you? Did you Did you listen uh, to that episode I yet? Nate? I haven't listened to that yet. You guys told me about it, but I haven't listened to it that often. <laughs> it was funny. After the episode you were on, Nate, first of all, we got a lot of compliments uh, just about the episode in general, people thought it was very interesting, you talking about Minneapolis City and you talking about the Portland Timbers. But a lot of people complimented me on just reaming out Justin for not inviting you on sooner. <laughs> um, you know, I got more compliments on that than I had up to that point. And two or three days after we published the episode, Donald Trump gets on TV and refers to Antifa as a terrorist organization. And so then in the next episode, I was like, Justin, you invited a domestic terrorist onto our podcast. Uh, yeah, it was uh, the listeners enjoyed that. <laughs> the listeners like when I yell at Justin and actually, Justin, you, you had a funny line with James the last episode, too, where you're just like, we like tournaments, James. <laughs> and, uh, I got some good compliments on that, too. So I mean, tournaments are great. Americans love a good tournament. So on on air production meeting, they like it when we yell at each other. Duly noted. Yeah. So Nate, you know, so Nate's obviously, if you didn't listen to the, I think it was episode eleven he was on. First of all, go listen to it, even though it took place a while ago. The content in there shouldn't really be dated. But Nate, he is the leader of the citizen supporter group for Minneapolis City SC, and told us all about. You know, that club, that supporters group. Nate, do you have any updates on how Minneapolis City or the citizens are doing in this crazy, weird summer? Um, I mean, NPSL, USL2 is all shut down. So both the the senior squad and the younger squads are, are shut down for the year. They did rebrand the U23s and then it was Minneapolis City 2. And so they've now... Uh, introduced uh, Minneapolis City Futures, which is kind of that development piece. So taking players that are right out of high school age, early college, and they'll com- be competing competing there. So I find that to be very exciting news. And at this point, it's all just in the administrative phase. Nobody's playing any soccer. So, so would that mean that the U.S. Open Cup, if it happens, that Minneapolis City is out? You know, I... I would assume that there would be enough. I mean, I guess nobody wants to make any assumptions when it comes to U.S. soccer, but one would think that they would give teams time to prepare, especially some of these lower-level teams that would be coming in having not had a season. Uh, you know, the, there is a squad, but I haven't heard any news about what the either what the status of the Open Cup is and or what the status would be for teams that are NPSL or other groups? Well, a lot has happened in the world of soccer. You you know, Germany wrapped things up. Liverpool clinched their first title in 30 years. The NWSL came back. There's a lot going on, but there's so much going on with Minnesota United and the MLS that we don't have time to talk about any of that. 
what we'll do in this episode, we have so much content that right off the bat, we decided this will be a two-part episode. Part one will be Minnesota United News and previewing the MLS's back tournament. And then part two is actually a conversation that we had been planning for the past several weeks on the role of politics within the sport of soccer, both worldwide and within this country. But we're going to start off... Justin, you actually have a buzzkill for us. Oh, man. I, I texted Sam about this earlier today. So I, I'm on Twitter like I always am. And I see a tweet from our favorite defender, Ike Para. It's a long, sad one, but I'll just read it to you. So he tweeted out this morning, before it's reported elsewhere, I want to let the fans know that I am currently not in Orlando with my teammates. I'm continuing my physical rehabilitation on a pre-existing condition that was agreed upon between the league and MS MNUFC. I'm sad I'm not there with my guys, but I will be the biggest fan from home in Minnesota. So it's a bummer. I know we we've been talking Damn. we've been talking about, you know, he wasn't involved in in the, like the preseason games and training. So it's just kind of a bummer to get that get the news that he won't be a part of the tournament. But, you know, as we talked about in some of our, our preview episodes, we talked about how we want to get the most out of Ike Opara, right? He's, he's a two-time defender of the year, you know, including last season. And, and the more we can get out of him, the better. So we'd rather him be healthy than come back too early and, and risk injury. And plus, I don't know, I'm, on, I'm under the impression maybe COVID-19 has a little bit to do with this. And if that's why he wants to sit out, I'm all for it. So... He is sitting out, though, and in the last episode, both you and I were very excited about Minnesota United's prospects going into this MLS's back tournament. We were both very excited about getting out of the group stage and then making some noise. Those are big shoes to fill. What do we think? What do we think as far as who's going to step in and replace him while he's gone? So the logical replacement would be Brent Coleman. But he decided to take performance-enhancing drugs last year, and he'll be suspended. What did we find out, Sam? He has to his suspension will go through the group stage. But if we make it out the group stage, he'll then be able he's to go. Yeah, he has three games left on his suspension that dated back to last year. So, so, so Brent Coleman would be the the number one guy to jump in. He's not available, so we're gonna have to go to the well a little bit jose aha that we saw in a preseason game i don't know much about him is probably the one that factors in the most well he Um, made appearances for vancouver but he was cut by vancouver which we just spent an entire episode (laughs) saying was awful so yeah (laughs) i don't think i don't think he was brought in with anticipation that he'd be he'd be doing much other than being a you know just a guy on the bench but so he'll he'll get to play i guess in the group stage at least uh, some other people that might factor in, uh, I was looking at the roster, James Musa. He's he's more of a center defensive midfielder, but he can also play center back. He'll probably be the the guy that's the backup to AHA. He's he's 28. He's another Kiwi. So Michael Boxall is a, a Kiwi, and he'll have a fellow Kiwi maybe next to him and James Musa. Uh, I was looking into, he's 28, and he made uh, 44 starts for Phoenix Rising of the USL the last two seasons. So he's, he's got experience in lower leagues. Um, he was a member of Sporting Kansas City in 2017, but he only made one appearance, so not much to, to say for that. Maybe we'll see him. We should see him get involved. 
The one I'm excited for is probably first-round pick Noah Billingsley, also from New Zealand. So we love that New Zealand flair on this team. Uh, he's 6'2", so he's tall enough. And it sounds like they have they envision him playing inside or outside defensively. I know that obviously he's going to mention he's going to talk about his guys in a positive light. But I remember in February he was talking about Billingsley being a guy that he maybe could see having an early impact, like uh, Hassani Dotson and, and Chase Gasper were able to do last year. So you know who knows if that'll actually happen, but that's promising. Side note though. Too bad we we traded Wyatt Olmsberg away because that was that was our only other center def- or center back, excuse me. So we don't have Wyatt, which stinks. But yeah, I, I'm excited we have Raheem Edwards instead. So as I was thinking about this, I was reminded about last year, early last year, when Francisco Calvo wasn't working out at left back, you, you know, and Justin was still wearing his jersey proudly. <sighs> Uh, Not probably. <laughs> just, so Francisco Calvo, guy who Justin wears his name on the back of his jersey, wasn't working out, and we didn't know what to do at left back. And Adrian Heath actually even put in Miguel Ibarra in, into the left back role a little bit. And eventually, though, it was Chase Gasper who stepped in. And I think that that's the mindset that Adrian Heath has here. First of all, he likes a lot of versatile players. So just because just because someone has not been designated as a center back, Adrian Heath knew his roster going into the season. Adrian Heath knew going into the season that Ike Opara did have some injury concerns and that Brent Kalman was still serving the suspension. Adrian Heath did not go into the season just assuming that Jose Aja was going to be the next man up unless he was confident about that, which I think it's more likely that he has a plan involving some of the guys that you just mentioned, or maybe even someone that you didn't. So in more fun news, you know, not to just say Justin is Captain Buzzkill, but (laughs) here's some exciting news. They Reynoso, the Emmanuel Reynoso negotiations with Boca Juniors, they are back on, man. Bebelo might still be a loon. Might still be a loon. He might still be a loon. Yeah. So it was actually, it was Andy Greeter, the Pioneer Press, who tweeted a report that he translated from TYC Sports in Argentina that Minnesota United submitted a new bid for Emmanuel Reynoso worth $4.7 million for what is 80% of his rights. I do want to point out, though, that back in February, Minnesota United reportedly submitted a $5.5 million bid, and that wasn't enough money to move things along back in February. Maybe now they're thinking Boca Juniors could be hurting for money because of COVID. Also, back in February, Boca Juniors was still trying to wrap up their season and maybe wasn't willing to part with the player Uh, for that kind of money. I know often when you try to bring in a player mid-season, that team is going to want a little bit more money in return. Yeah, who knows? But it's it's nice to see that the the conversation isn't dead. You know, it feels like we keep going back and forth on this, but maybe maybe we'll finally have a resolution on our hands and we can finally have that number 10 we've been looking for. Nate, you scared yet? Not at all. (laughs) Next piece of news, in in a move that was probably expected from the beginning. Uh, Romario Abara, his move last year to Petusha is now permanent. So sadly, he will not be a loon again. 
Sam, you, you texted me some interesting information about this transaction, though. I don't know if it's interesting information. It was just kind of funny. So when Fox 9 reported on Romario Ibarra's permanent move to Pachuca, first of all, I'm impressed that they were covering it in the first place <laughs> right. on Fox 9. <laughs> you, you know, because even I, who follow the, t- I follow the team as closely as I can, deep down I knew Romario Ibarra was still technically a loon, but I had all but forgotten about the guy. Fox 9, though, not only covered the story, but they wanted to put in a little montage of some of his highlights, which is great, <laughs> except for they only use video of Miguel Ibarra for these Oof. highlights. Woof. So, Woof. Which they don't even look alike. Right. <laughs> they just have the same last name. Just, you know, and the funny thing is, yeah, Romario Ibarra didn't even have Ibarra on his jersey, right? He's It was Romario on the back. Interesting mix-up, but... What do you expect, though, right? MLS isn't usually the top of the the sports sports pantheon, so maybe maybe they were just looking for something to fill the air, and they didn't really look into it much. Obviously, they didn't look into it much. <laughs> uh, I guess it's my turn to be the buzzkill. Huge buzzkill. Minnesota United furloughed or fired almost all of its academy staff. So on June 24th, Minnesota United announced that they furloughed and cut multiple staff. This actually included all full-time academy staff. Four were cut and one was furloughed. They cited COVID-19 as the reason. However, one employee who was impacted by this was quoted by the athletics saying they didn't believe that COVID was the actual reason because they believed that Dr. Bill McGuire had been talking about this plan all along. Interesting. Interesting. As a member of the MLS, Minnesota United is required to have an academy, at least at the U15 and U17 levels. And Manny Lagos did confirm that Minnesota United will still be participating in the academy league. But really, Minnesota United has a history of not focusing its resources on the academy. Even prior to COVID, they were one of only two teams in the entire MLS that still was using pay to play, meaning that the academy players had to pay to be on the academy team. Minnesota United was only one of two in the entire league. More unnamed sources within the club even mentioned that the connection between the academy staff and the first team staff wasn't very strong. Some even saying that it was almost non-existent the entire time. It's very interesting as you see the MLS trying Many teams around the MLS are trying to expand their academies. Minnesota United going in a completely different direction. Maybe it's maybe, you know, maybe it's like a retooling, you know, maybe because of the division between the academy and the first team staff. Maybe they're looking to to replace the staff and and maybe Adrian Heath will have more say, I guess, in in who joins in, who is a part of the staff. But yeah, it's definitely interesting. I, I wonder what Nate how Nate how do you feel about all this? What do you, what's your, what are your thoughts? Do we want three episodes? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, the pandemic presents a really significant challenge in so many ways to sporting organizations. And it really, I think has, you know, shown the spotlight on what various teams priorities are. Um, and, you know, I think you look at United laying off local employees, laying off, you know, 
employees in a way that is going to affect youth locally who are capable of playing at a high level and have been part of the organization's development. And then you look at them put, looking to spend $5 million on a player. And, you know, I cynically responded in our text about that. But it's, you know, I think it's true that, say, say that program costs them a million dollars to run a year. That's five years worth of that program that they're going to drop into one guy. So what are your, you know, what are your priorities? What are your true colors? Are you really about the community or are you about, you know, a win at all costs? And, you know, I think that's something significant to look at. And I think that that's not just, you're not going to see that just with Minnesota United, but you saw that with, you know, things that Barcelona have done on a more global scale. They recently sold a, a younger player who in the long term might be a good fit for them for a more established player who's going to come in and play the same position, but, you know, bring some win now traits. And basically they made $10 million, which they needed to to balance their checkbook for the year, right? So it's a win now move uh, and it's all about the finances. So, you know, I don't envy the, the position that teams are in. And at the same time, as a, as a youth coach, it's frustrating to see, you know, yet again, a program in U.S. soccer prioritizing win now over the development of um, especially local players because, you know, that's the state of Minnesota has, you know, a pretty strong youth program. Thank you, Nate. All three of us are teachers here. And so when, when I heard about this, the main thing I was thinking about was those kids, those families that have dedicated their time, dedicated their efforts to this program. And the program is still there. It's not like it's just gone, but there's so much uncertainty now. All we were told was that these five people were either furloughed or cut, and we weren't told the plan. There was nothing else there. So if you are a young kid who has been dedicating all this time, all this energy into the club, if you are a parent who has been driving them all over the place for this club, I feel bad that they're going through that right now. And I hope that they have some clarity going forward. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie and say that I understand the economics of the situation. And honestly, I don't think anyone that you're hearing complain about this on Twitter really does either. But what we can all agree is that this sucks for those involved. Well, and I think the, that's the, the crux of the issue is, are you leaving people that have made an investment in this program and have been the, the core of the program? Are you leaving them out in the cold? at the expense of, or are you leaving them out in the cold while at the same time choosing to prioritize the spending of money elsewhere? It would be one thing to say, we don't have money, projected budget is X, and we can't afford this program. It's a completely different thing to be saying, we don't have the money to support this program that, again, is for youth development and at the same time that we don't, we're saying that we don't have this money, we're deciding that we're going to go spend money elsewhere within our program. And I, and I get that it's a large umbrella of the organization. Well, Justin, are we done being buzzkills? Yeah, I think it's time to move on to matters at hand, sir. We got a tournament. We got a tournament. And 
before we talk about the tournament, and I'm going to tie it in, don't worry, but I just want to tell you guys just how excited I have been with the return of the Premier League so far. Like, we went from no sports to there is this league now where I have I have my team that I'm going to watch no matter what. I have, like, three or four teams that in the table are competing with my team that I want to lose for the benefit of my team. And then I have Arsenal and Tottenham, which I just like to hate watch and cheer against. So (laughs) like on any given day that there's premier league matches going on, I have something that I am tuning into. I have something that I'm interested in. And, you know, this is pot on you loons. It's not, it's not pot on you blues as much as I sometimes would like it to be. It is pot on you loons. And for that reason, I want to ask you this excitement that I'm expressing right now with the return of the Premier League and just this congested schedule of, of Premier League soccer that I get to watch almost every single day. Are we going to feel some similar excitement here with the MLS? I think so. I mean, I'm excited for it. I think that it's going to bring in fans. You know, obviously the hardcores, the people that like MLS are going to watch. Uh, but I think that it will open up to new fans you know, as it is uh, one of the first things back. But I'm also just hopeful because I think that I, it'd be it'd be nice to see more people, you know, watching MLS and being interested in MLS. Yeah. You, you know, in the past two episodes, we talked to both Jeremy and James, you know, Jeremy, who is a American football is his sport, right? He's a he's a diehard American football fan. He watches every NFL game and he likes soccer. He likes to watch Arsenal when it's on. He likes to watch the loons when it's on, but he's a very casual soccer fan. You know, his expression was, I am more likely to watch this because it's a tournament. That's exciting to me. You know, James, who is a hardcore soccer fan, but he's, he's European. So he doesn't follow our league as close. He said for him, the tournament format is exciting for him. It's going to get him into this. I am wondering, like, as far as the MLS goes, I watch every Loons game. I don't hate watch teams in the MLS very often, right? Like, I don't, maybe as the season goes on, like, I remember last season I was watching Seattle and cheering for them to lose because I knew they were close to us in the table. Same with Real Salt Lake. But I don't remember feeling the same way I I do when I watch Arsenal lose to, you know, Brighton and Hove Albion, right? Like I got psyched when Arsenal lost to Brighton and Hove Albion. That was awesome. Even though the game meant nothing, that was awesome. I don't know if I'm going to feel that same way with the MLS's back tournament. What do you think, Nate? I mean, I think it's a, you know, Justin, I agree with your point that I think that there's a lot of, a lot of possibilities for, major league soccer to pick up fan base you know the fact that it's getting started you know i think that it's the epl did a fantastic job scheduling games so that there's basically games seven days a week during their season so you know mls doing something similar and you know i thought that the best way for them to come back was to do a world cup like tournament i've got a lot of questions and doubts about the merits of having the first competitions these teams are going to have other than maybe a scrimmage here or there be regular season points. But, you know, it's 
in the in the grand scheme of things, it's it's a couple of matches, so I don't think it's too big of a deal. Um, obviously, it's great to have you know soccer back in you know in prime time, and I think that there's you know there's a lot of possibilities for this, and it's you know a weird it's just a weird time. So I, I think that you know the more the more sports that we can have back, the better it's going to be. Yeah, for for sure. I can't wait for the loons to get going. I like that the MLS season and the European season, they overlap a little bit, but I like that they're different because as a fan of the Premier League, this happens every year as I'm waiting for the MLS to get started where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited about the Premier League right now. Am I able to focus on the MLS? But then the loons start playing and that's my team, right? Like that's the team I actually get to go and see. That's the team I actually have a real connection to. That's a team where I'm actually part of a community as opposed to Chelsea, where that team is thousands of miles away from me. And I don't even have a friend that wants to talk Chelsea with me, much less like a community that I'm a part of. Having Minnesota United back and getting that back, it's going to be exciting. And then it flip-flops, right? Then the summer comes and you have MLS and you have balloons and you get so into it. And when the Premier League comes back in August, it's almost like you don't even care because the MLS season is you know, starting to get to its climax. Right now, my feelings are, gosh, I feel great about the Premier League right now and I'm so happy it's back. But I know as soon as the MLS kicks off, I know I'm going to find my way to kind of fall in love with the league all over again but i guess the thing that i still have never had and you know minnesota united doesn't have a real rivalry there aren't any teams i absolutely hate there there's no team that i'm going to watch even if they're mid-table just to cheer for them to lose in the mls so i don't know i'm i'm excited but it's it's a different kind of excitement how about this guys do you think it's for sure going to happen Good question. I mean, I think, you know, looking at national statistics, looking at what happened with Orlando in the NWSL and, you know, what what just terrible circumstances for them to just talk about that for a second. And I don't know how familiar you guys are, but basically they had uh, a handful of players test positive. And so then the, the whole team basically had to pull out of the NWSL Cup but you know what what just terrible circumstances for that group to be preparing and then to to have that kind of yanked out from underneath them and you know hopefully not i i don't really know much about the details i know that they're you know they're at the resort you know and there's going to be some testing they're basically there but you know if a couple of teams start getting positive tests could could potentially have the plug pulled pretty quick but you know hopefully that doesn't happen and we can we can benefit from some entertainment and and they're there right now so it's not like the other situations you know like i know the nba a lot of the drama is is when they're actually down in the bubble what's what's going to happen when everyone gets tested but you know there's like the the loons are training as a team right now right so and we haven't heard really anything about positive tests or anything like that uh, so, you know, right now feels like it's it's happening. It's going to happen or at least it's going to start. But like you said, Nate, who knows, you know, uh, if, if something happens or there's an outbreak, the so-called bubble they're trying to create 
gets broken, who knows, you know, if we'll see something like something like what you just talked about, right? And a team just pulls out of the tournament. Yeah, I think it's going to go forward. I think it would be far more likely to have individual players stop playing than it would be for the entire tournament to not go forward. It just seems like people are very motivated to make it happen. So let's just hope that they're taking all the necessary precautions. I am most worried that the hotel staff does not have to stay in the bubble. So is it really a bubble if not everyone in the bubble is contained? Justin, as you said, they are already there. And actually, we have a friendly coming up this weekend. So by the time some people are listening, the friendly might have already taken place against the Columbus crew on Sunday, July 5th. Do we know if that's going to be on TV yet, Sam? I was trying to find out, and I I couldn't find anything. Usually when Minnesota United plays a friendly, you don't have a lot of clarity on if there's going to be a stream until relatively last minute, and then they just post a link to the website. The MLS rules are relatively strict on what you're allowed to stream. Like You have to have a certain amount of cameras, a certain quality, they expect where, you know, for, for us, just kind of wanting to watch the game, I wouldn't mind if it was just some dude with a cell phone camera. Uh, yeah, that's something, right? You, you know, the question I had for you, Justin, was regardless of if this friendly was streamed, is there anything you're looking forward to seeing? And my wow. response was going to be that I think we have the most set in stone starting 11 in the history <laughs> of soccer. But with the news on Ike Opara, I, I don't think that's true anymore. I want to I wanna see who that center back is going to be. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, just to see, you know, all those guys that we talked about earlier, see them get some play. Maybe, they're, like you said, maybe there's some we haven't, heard, we haven't talked about yet that will slide in there and, and maybe get a look. But that's, that's what I'm most interested in watching. Yeah. I even went back last year to games where we didn't use the 4-2-3-1 formation to see if it would make sense to use a different one, given the personnel we have. And I still do think it'll be a 4-2-3-1. I don't think we're going to experiment with anything else in these in these opening games uh, without Icopara. I think we're going to ride it out and try to find a replacement center back, but I, I don't know who it's going to be. Speaking of friendlies, Nate, one of the most in- interesting things you told us the last time you were on was that Minneapolis City and Minnesota United, they have these local Minnesota derbies all the time that we never hear about, we never get to watch. Do you know, leading up to this tournament, did Minnesota United ever call in Minneapolis City to do a little scrimmage or anything? You know, I wish I had some really exciting gossip on that, but I don't. I thought that that was going to be our... <laughs> you, you know, la- last time you were on, you referred to us as journalists, and I thought that this was going to be, like, my <laughs> big, like, journalistic breakthrough. Like, they were going to say, Sam from Pod on You Looms and, and Antifa Nate, they report that <laughs> Minnesota United and Min- Minneapolis City were taking part in preseason friendlies going into the Orlando tournament, but not quite. That would be, that would be quite the page one drama, but you know, I know I, I cannot be a source of that information. Oh, all right. But Sporting Kansas City, Sunday, July 12th, we get the 7 p.m. game. I know a lot of teams, they have to 
wake up at like 7 a.m., but we get 7 p.m., perfect time for us. What we're going to do next, Justin and I, we're just going to, since we know a lot of people, they kind of tuned out on the season these past three months. We don't blame you, but we want to just refresh your memory on what you can expect from Sporting Kansas City, Real Salt Lake, and Colorado Rapids going into the Orlando Orlando tournament. Sporting Kansas City, our first game. The story about this team going into the year, of course, Sporting Kansas City is led by a highly respected coach, Peter Vermees, who has managed Sporting Kansas City since 2009. With Peter Vermees, Sporting Kansas City has made the playoffs every year since 2010 until last year when they let in 67 goals and finished 11th in the Western Conference. Rough. But, of course, that is not necessarily what you have to expect this year as they have some big money signings that have taken place to set up Sporting Kansas City to rebound into 2020. Sam, real quick, though, do you think that letting in 67 goals has anything to do with trading away one Icopara? I'm sure it has everything to do with trading away Icopara. <laughs> so I hope he gets healthy so that we don't let in 67 goals. Yeah, that would not be good. One thing I do want to point out is that whether it is fair or not, a lot of people in the MLS world have wondered if teams are going to show up to this tournament being motivated to win it. Well, under Peter Vermees, Sporting Kansas City, not only did they win the 2013 MLS Cup, which of course we all know is a huge deal, but they won three U.S. Open Cups. To me, a team with that kind of a coach who takes winning trophies seriously, regardless of what the trophy is, that kind of coach, that kind of team always does have an advantage when you are in a tournament that some may consider a lesser tournament when you're going for a trophy that may be a lesser trophy. Adrian Heath, if you listen to him at all, anytime he talks about Peter Vermees, he just gushes about the guy. In a recent interview with the Sound of the Loons podcast, Adrian Heath even suggested that Sporting Kansas City presented Minnesota United's greatest challenge in coming out of Group D. Minnesota United, we don't have the greatest history with Sporting Kansas City, Last year, we traded wins, uh, each of us winning at home. Of course, the very memorable Hassani Dotson banger to clinch Minnesota United's first MLS playoff appearance took place at Allianz Field late last September. And then, of course, there was the U.S. Open Cup game where our former designated players, Darwin Quintero and Angelo Rodriguez, led us to a 4-1 victory in the round of 32. Sporting Kansas City is a tough team. For those of you at home looking to watch the game, you want to know a few names. Well, besides Peter Vermees, a big guy you want to know is Alan Polito. 29 years old, he was just signed from Guadalajara, where he is the reigning Liga MX scoring champion. He's played as an international for Mexico in the Copa America and the 2014 World Cup. He also played for Olympiacos in Greece. In only two appearances with Sporting Kansas City, he already has two goals. Sporting Kansas City signed him this offseason for around $9.5 million, making him Sporting Kansas City's club record signing. He is the real deal. 
so Sam talked to me about this and he texted me, you see that resume and that kind of pops out. I took a deep dive in his Wikipedia and I shared with Sam, he got kidnapped in 2016. Like that was some crazy stuff, right, Sam? Yeah. And now he's held hostage in Disney world and isn't allowed to leave. <laughs> so Yeah. He, so he got kidnapped for like two days and then he wrestled the gun away from his attackers and then they both, they just ran away from him and he, he got out. So good for him. He can get himself out of a, a sticky situation like that, but he's now he's stuck. Now he's stuck in Orlando. So sporting Kansas city was already tough for Minnesota United. And now we have to play sporting Kansas city with Liam Neeson. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm still confident, but I really wish I Kopara was there. <laughs> to handle Liam Neeson. Besides Alan Polito, Johnny Russell, and Felipe Gutierrez, they form what will be a very dangerous offense for Sporting Kansas City. And their defense that let in 67 goals last year should be better. Winston Reed was brought in from loan from West Ham United, where he's made 194 appearances since 2010. And also they have Roberto Puncek, who comes to the team from Croatia, where he enjoyed a lengthy career with various second-tier leagues of Europe, probably most notably spent some decent time in Union Berlin. Their defense should be better, adding those two experienced defenders. This season so far, they're doing pretty good. They're the only team ahead of Minnesota United right now on the table, they are also 2-0, just as Minnesota United is, having defeated Vancouver away and Houston at home. So next on the schedule after, after Sporting Kansas City will be Real Salt Lake. We're going to see them Friday night, July 17th at 9.30 p.m. So hopefully Cecilia will be asleep, Sam, so you can, you can watch the game. She'll be uh, asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Big story, right? So they, they finished third in the Western Conference in 2019. So that's why they were they were awarded the top seed in the group. Uh, they're led by former Minnesota Thunder defender Freddie Juarez, who is entering his first full season as head coach after his promotion from assistant coach last August. This is going to be the first year in a long time for them without legendary goal te- goalkeeper Nick Romando, who made 369 appearances for RSL dating back to 2007. So before RSL, he played for DC United. And before that, he made 47 appearances for the Miami Fusion. Wow. Wow. (laughs) They they existed. They existed. Uh, Besides Romando's departure, RSL has significant consistency with their roster coming into the season. So a lot of of the same old faces. So some people that we should get to know as we look to play them. Some important people, starting with Damir Krylich. He's experienced midfielder in his third year with RSL. Before RSL, he played for Union Berlin with fellow Croatian and uh, the person that that Sam just mentioned, Roberto Puncic. Uh, they played together for Union Berlin. Also, Albert Rusnak, a 25-year-old designated player who scored 10 goals in each of the past two seasons for them. His danger not only comes in the goal-scoring ability, but he's also able to create chances for those around him. person I'm excited to watch is uh, Corey Bard, 24-year-old homegrown player who has won three national championships with Stanford. He's in his third season at MLS uh, where he's looking to break out. I've seen him a lot playing for the, the uh, national team 
and he's a he's a fun player on the outside. Uh, I mentioned someone last episode who doesn't look to, you know, I don't know if he'll if he'll do much, but Giuseppe Rossi really really jumped off the page when I was looking at their roster. He's 33 years old, but I just still remember, uh, you know, the drama with his decision to play for Italy over the United States. He grew up, born and raised in New Jersey. Italian heritage decided as a as a kid to to play for Italy instead of the U.S. I also remember the 2008 Olympics. He was he was a big deal. Scored four goals in the tournament, making him the top scorer, even though they didn't make it very far. Uh, he was you know ascending for Villa Real in Spain, but has had like something like five ACL tears in his life. So not not very good for for being being a star, I guess, with those kind of injuries. Who knows what impact he'll make, but to see him kind of come full circle and this is his first time playing in the United States, uh, it'll be interesting to kind of watch him and see what he does. So, so far this season, they've had two draws at Orlando and home versus New York Red Bulls. We'll wrap things off with the Colorado Rapids who we're going to play. Also late night, 9.30 p.m. kickoff, Wednesday, July 22nd. So, we might have to call in late to work on on Thursday. I guess good thing we're in education, right? Good thing, good thing we got summers off, or at least us teachers do. Well, the Rapids were awful last year before Robin Frazier took over as head coach in August, and then they went on a run that nearly secured them a playoff spot. And they ultimately missed the playoffs by about six points, and they finished ninth. But that last little stretch of Colorado Rapids. They were scaring all of us. Of course, they got the best of Minnesota United in Colorado before their August run, defeating us one to nothing. Minnesota United, of course, was able to trade wins, defeating Colorado at Allianz one to zero last August. And Robin Frazier was hired shortly after our win. Robin Frazier, of course, was a two-time MLS Defender of the Year and played in the MLS from 1996 to 2005. He has coached in the MLS since 2007, mostly as an assistant, except for one sad year with Chivas USA. R.I.P. R.I.P. Chivas USA. (laughs) Suffered the same fate as the Miami Fusion. Players to know, probably the biggest name we've listed off so far, Kai Kamara. He has played for seven different MLS clubs. I should say has starred for seven different MLS clubs since 2006 and has been banging in goals ever since he's 35 years old and he is 20 goals away from becoming the number two all-time leader for goals scored in the MLS next I want to bring up Jonas Namli 26 year old Danish winger who is just brought in on a two-year loan we're excited to see what he can do in the MLS and finally I want to bring up Lalas Abubakar an exciting 25-year-old center back that Colorado just signed from Columbus to a permanent deal. His emergence last year is one of the bright spots of an otherwise leaky defense that allowed the second most goals in the Western Conference. Of course, Sporting Kansas City allowed the most. Their season so far, along with Sporting Kansas City and Minnesota United, they are also 2-0, having defeated D.C. United away and Orlando at home. So, guys, that is the group. Justin, I want to ask you, why is Minnesota United going to win? And, Nate, I want to ask you, why are they not going to win? Okay, so, yes, it's unfortunate that we're we not going to have Ike Opara, 
but I think that we just have a, we have so many offensive weapons that I think that it'll help us be successful. Luis Amaria, I'm kind of bummed. I was looking at the the Twitter feed. They had some pictures from the training. He he shaved his head so he doesn't have the luscious locks anymore. So hopefully that's not what made him powerful. But I'm excited to see him. Hopefully, you know, make do on his promise for for what was the 26 goals, right? 25, 26 goals. Uh, I think that he's going to lead us to victory. I really do. And I think that the depth we have up front is going to help help us, you know, offset any loss that is coming from not having Icopara. Yeah, I, I really am hoping that the depth that Minnesota United brought in is for real. I'm excited. You know, having people like Hassani Dotson and Mason Toy coming off the bench makes me very confident, especially in a congested schedule. Uh, especially when it is hot outside and players are going to need to recover quickly. It makes me happy that we have some guys on the bench that frankly are good enough to start. They just don't have a spot. We brought in a lot of new guys, you know, Raheem Edwards, we've already seen a decent amount from big salary. We've seen come in usually to put a game away rather than to win a game, but it seems like the team brought in quality, experienced professionals in the offseason. And from watching the European leagues, those kinds of guys help out when you have these congested schedules. Okay, to play contrarian, I'm just going to say that losing your defensive player of the year candidate, your center back stalwart, is going to be you know, a huge a huge obstacle to overcome in the fact that there's no clear second man up, next man up, just opens up that back line. Um, and I think that, you know, with the levels of conditioning, I think with the tournament format, I think early on, I think you're going to see some, some pretty wide open games. And if you don't have that, that back line, um, and especially the, the leadership that Opara brings, it could be real easy to, to hemorrhage some goals. So I think that, you know, Opara, uh, his loss is going to be key for, for United. But, you know, I, I still think that they've got a quality squad. There's there's certainly competition within the group. Uh, certainly there's no reason to think that they wouldn't be able to, to finish top two and make it out. Yeah, and it, it's important to remember, too, that four third-place teams of the six groups will also make it out. And, of course, one of them is in that Eastern Conference group that has, like, six or seven teams or whatever. But that means that three more of those third-place spots are up for grabs. It would be hard for me to imagine Minnesota United not advancing just because Icopara is down. Icopara does hurt, though. Uh, especially, we, we've seen a lot of defensive-minded, counter-attacking football in Europe. And if that is true in the MLS, Para was the heart and soul of our defense last year, and not having him around is going to sting. Well, we're all psyched for the MLS's back tournament to get going. Nate, I'm actually surprised I didn't hear you, uh, you know, complain a little bit more about getting both L.A. teams in your group, in your group rounds. But it is it is time to wrap this segment up. Say pot on you loons, or Nate, you can you can pot on you timbers. I, I don't care. It's it's fine. We're 
Nate, Nate, I want you to, I want you to give a message to your fellow Antifa's out there. You know, just keep the troops strong. Nate, do you have a message for them in this fight? We should save that for the next episode. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> so we're going to break now. This is the end of the episode and we'll be right back. And we're going to record part two, which is where we have Nate and he has the opportunity to explain all about Antifa because it's very clear not everyone knows what Antifa is. All right. Pot on you loons, guys. Pot on you loons. Just say pot on you timbers, Nate. (laughs) Shiver me timbers. What do you guys say? (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys play that Kesha song a lot? No. They do in in the stadium broadband, but it's not. Like, the TA doesn't care about that. Uh, What's the timbers, like, big... Like saying, do they have one? I mean, Rose City Till I Die, I guess. I don't know. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, pot on you loons, and it's going down. I'm yelling timber. <laughs> you better move. You better dance, guys. All right. We'll see you soon. <laughs>